take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, please. Appreciate the songs tonight and how they speak of the grace of God. We're going to be speaking on the grace of God tonight uh, in our study of the Word of God. And I'm thankful for God's grace. Amen. Where would we be without it? And it's free to us uh, because of a loving God. And I'm thankful for the Lord and His grace and His help. We're going to be in Galatians 5. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 for our text tonight. I'm going to be very brief with you tonight, I promise. It won't be long. I just want to encourage you with a truth tonight. And I was encouraged by it myself as I studied today. And um, we're going to trust that the Lord will enable uh, by His grace to convey that truth here tonight to you. And so I challenge you, encourage you to focus, pay attention tonight, and, and let God's Word effectually work in you. Amen? God is good all the time. Look at verse 7, Galatians 5 and verse 7. We're going to read down through verse 12. He says, You did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. You, you uh, read this passage, you say, well, what does that have to do with grace, Pastor? You know, well, I'll show you in just a little while uh, as we get to it. But we need to be reminded that chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Galatians, it deals with grace. And it deals with sanctification or Christian living. And we can remember that this epistle to the churches of Galatia is divided up into three sections. Chapter 1 and 2 were very personal, where Paul is defending his, his own ministry as those who made accusation against him and tried to uh, persuade people to not listen or believe the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, my ministry wasn't, wasn't of me. It was given to And then he was also defending the message that he preached, which was the true gospel. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And the Judaizers had come along and they were sowing seeds and teaching a legalistic form uh, of, of thinking and, and religion and, and how they were saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, but there's also the law, and you need to be circumcised as well as in Jesus Christ in order to be saved or, or please God. And Paul says, anybody who preaches another gospel, which is not another, I mean, it's not a gospel at all. Anybody who preaches another gospel should be accursed. And, and he, was, he was very um, dogmatic and very uh, serious approach to the churches of Galatia because this is a serious issue. What they're teaching is going to lead to death, and it's going to lead others astray. And so the first part of Galatians chapter 1 and 2 is very personal. And, and then the second part, which is chapter 3 and 4, was, was where Paul is, is declaring again and demonstrating and showing that the law could never save anybody. The law was given to show us our sin. 
salvation is only by grace through faith. And when you go back into self-effort, you put yourself back into slavery. Free in the grace of God. And then you get to chapter 5 and 6, and it's very practical, and where Paul lays out for us the practicality of our salvation by grace through faith. And so chapter 5 and 6 deals with grace, and it deals with sanctification. And when it comes to the Christian life, listen, it's, it's not enough to know about the doctrine of grace. We can have all the head knowledge about something that we want, but it doesn't do us any good. It's got to be experienced in a person's life. And so Paul is turning now the argument from, from uh, or turning the, the table from the argument and the proving of salvation by grace to the application of it, from the doctrinal side to the practical side. And the legalistic teaching of the Judaizers had so penetrated the thinking of the Galatian churches that it was affecting the way that they lived. And these Galatians, instead of trusting in the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to produce righteousness in them, they were trying to produce righteousness by depending on self-effort through keeping of the law and so on. And the truth was that the power for living the Christian life is not found in keeping laws. It's not in the Mosaic law or man-made laws. It's found in the Holy Spirit of God. And the Galatians were exhorted to put themselves under the Holy Spirit's control and live through the grace of God that was given to them. And so that's really what this is about. But when we get to our text, before Paul lays out some of these other things in chapter 5, Paul uh, tells them, first of all, and indicates to them here that, that, that you've lost your way. And I say that because I want you to look at verse 7. Through nine, he says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Paul tells them and reminds them, you, You've lost your direction. You've lost your way. He said, You did run well. Who did hinder you? And, and I want to focus in on some of those words here as we walk through this. He says, You did run well it implies something of the past it implies something that used to be something that's not in the present but something that was you did you you used to you did you ran well what happened something changed the phrase run well there it, it simply means to make progress and so in other words paul says there was a time when you were making progress you were, you were progressing in your Christian life. You were running well, but something has changed. Something happened. And then he, and then he asks the question of, of, of what happened or how. And he says this. He said, who did hinder you? Who did hinder you? Now, that phrase, it sort of carries the idea in the meaning that like we would use it, like something's being held back. Something's in the way, something's, you know, it's hindering you, it's keeping you from moving forward. It does sort of carry that idea, but it actually means and literally means to cut in. You say, well, what is, how does that relate? How does that relate to what Paul is talking about, to cut in? Well, it really carries the meaning of running in a race. 
That's what he's referring to. And, and Paul often used athletics in illustrating the Christian life. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Paul is illustrating the Christian life with these athletic games, something that they would understand. And he says, here's what it is in the physical realm. That applies in the spiritual as well. That in the Christian life, we're running in a race. Well, in this case, in our text, Paul again is illustrating the Christian life with running in a race. When he says, ye did run well, who did hinder you? And the idea here is that when it came to the races and into those athletic games, the racers always had their own lane that they were supposed to stay in or run in. It was their course that they had. And at times, as the race would go on or, or someone's trying to gain advantage, at times other runners would cut in and it would cause the runner to stumble or to break stride and ultimately end up taking a different course. So when he says, who did hinder you? He's saying, who, who cut in? Who cut in on you that caused you to stumble or break stride and ultimately start taking another course? You following this? You understand the idea here? Paul is saying this of the Galatians spiritually. Who cut you off? Who's made you uh, to, to, to take this spiritual detour, as you, if you will? You've lost your way, is what he's saying. What was the detour, the spiritual detour that they were taking? Well, he says it right in the verse there. He says, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This was the spiritual detour that they were taking, not obeying the truth. There were those who had cut in and cut them off, and it caused them to, to start on a new path, a different path, a detour, and it was not obeying the truth. And let, let me say this to you. It's always a spiritual detour when we aren't obeying the truth. When it comes to truth, just knowing it isn't enough. God reveals truth to us, and we're accountable to that truth, and we're accountable in this respect, that now we're accountable to obey it. God doesn't give it to us as something that's optional, or if we feel like it at the time. God gives it so that we might obey it, and it's always a spiritual detour when we're not obeying the truth. And listen, it's the devil's plan to get you on a spiritual detour, not God's. Notice what he says in verse 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This isn't God's plan. This isn't God's way. This course that you're stumbling onto is not God's. Guess whose it is if it's not God's? It's either man-made, and the devil's certainly going to use something man-made. He wants you on a spiritual detour. Why? Because 
He can't affect your soul in eternity if you're saved, if you're a child of God. But he sure can derail your life to keep you from giving glory to God. He can get you on a new path, a different course. Right? And it doesn't take much sometimes to cause us to break stride. In those races, the racer had a goal in mind. And a lot of times it was, what I've read was, it was a, a, a pole. It was a singular thing that they were running towards. And their focus was just on the goal. And whenever a runner would cut in and it would cause them to stumble, they would lose focus and lose sight of what their goal is and start on a different route. Not in that straight line. What I'm saying is, is that it doesn't take much sometimes. And notice what he says in verse 9. He says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little. Doesn't take much at all to get it completely out of whack. That happens in life sometimes. When it comes to practical Christian living, when it comes to the life of a church, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to your own Christian life and your walk with the Lord, sometimes it doesn't take very much. And something cuts in and causes us to break stride. Like misunderstandings between people sometimes. It doesn't take a lot when there's a misunderstanding between people and then we can jump to a conclusion about the situation or about a person and I'm, I, I've jumped to this conclusion without communicating well and now here I'm thinking this way about this person and now I'm going to start acting on those assumptions and those wrong conclusions and guess what's going to happen? All of a sudden, something's cut in and it's affected my attitude and my spirit why we need to talk and we need to communicate listen i'm not immune to that either i am a human just like everybody else and what it takes is some humility and some holding of relationships more valuable than maybe our feelings or how we're hurt this is more valuable than this Let's go figure this out and let's get this worked out for the sake of peace and unity, right? For the sake of the race. It causes feelings and our feelings sometimes get hurt. Let's talk about feelings for a second because feelings are often caused by the way that we're thinking. And when our thinking is wrong, it creates these wrong feelings. And these wrong feelings then have a tendency to create more wrong thinking, which then creates more feelings, right? And our feelings end up controlling us and even controlling the way that we think. And right thinking leads to right doing and right acting. Listen, it's, it's part of the human nature, I think, sometimes, and part of the human condition to, to believe untrue things, lies that our brain tells us or the way that we're thinking about something. 
And it's, it's so easily can cut in and cause us to break stride, lose focus. Paul said you were making progress. You ran well, but something cut in and something has changed the course. We can't be controlled by our feelings. We cannot live life by our feelings. Feelings change. They're up and they're down and they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down. Listen, I know. I understand. I know. And we have to be reminded of principle and truth and what's right and think on the right things. This is why I'm saying just having truth and knowing truth is not enough. We need to experience it in our life. Knowing about the grace of God is not enough. We need to experience the grace of God for what it is. Sometimes there are desires that we might have that can cut in in life, like a desire for a better life. And maybe I need a new job, and maybe I need some more money, and so on. And we start making decisions based on those things. And listen, listen, those things can so easily cut us off and derail us and cause us to go down a new course and a new path that is not of the one who has called you. It's not of this persuasion is not of God. You following what I'm saying here? I probably have told you this story before, but I will never forget this because because of the fact that it plays out over and over and over and over again in people's lives. I knew a man once who wasn't very spiritually minded. He was in a good church, but you know, he had his family there and so on, but he himself wasn't that spiritually minded. He had a lot of debt and so on, and he wanted to get out of his debt and so on. So he's like, I've got to get another job, pastor. I need to take this job so that I can pay off my debt and take care of my family because that's biblical. You know, we're supposed to do that. But the problem was that his job was going to take him out of church even more. And his pastor said, that's not a good idea. You don't want to do that because God is not going to lead you and bless you in something that is going to take you outside of his will for you even more. You want God's blessing? Then you need to be obedient to truth. And he said, oh, pastor, no, no, it's just going to be temporary. It's just going to be for a time. And as soon as I get my debts paid off, I'll be right back in church. You just watch. You just wait. He said, mark my words. Well, time played out. He went and got his job. And as time went on, he just started missing more and more of church because his job was taking him out of church. And it became routine. It became normal. And before it was all said and done, he probably paid his debts off. I don't even know, but I do know this. Never saw him again in church. It cut in, and it started him on a new course and a new path. And you know what? When you get on a new path, initially, you're really close. Initially, you're right here together. But the farther that you go on the path, the farther and farther away you get. This persuasion is not of God, the one who's called you. The devil wants you to have a spiritual detour and take you right out of the will of God. And here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It always, always plays out this way. It never just affects you. 
ever. It'll affect your kids and the next generation, which is going to affect the generation after that, and it's going to affect the generation after that. Point is, God's never going to lead you to do something that's ultimately going to take you out of his will or out of the position where you can run the race well. The devil wants to get you on the detour. And Paul told the Galatians, you ran well, past tense. You did, you were making progress, but something cut in on you. Who did that? that you should not obey the truth. Got you on a spiritual detour. This doesn't come from, from him that calleth you. A little leaven, just a little bit, just a little bit of change, just a little bit, it's going to leaven the whole lump. It's not, a, it's not a big deal. It's just a temporary thing. It's just for a time. You following? You better think long and hard about the course that we're running. In this case, it was false doctrine that was going on, but it could be anything in our life. In this case, it was false doctrine, and it wasn't of God. And the truth of the matter is what we need to stay the course and what we need to, to, to run the right race is we need to live controlled by the Holy Spirit of God and live in the grace of God. That's what we need because we can't do it with self-effort. To live under the law is to live in the power of the flesh. To live under grace is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, divine power. God's grace, and again, that's what this whole chapter is really dealing with, is God's grace and sanctification. And, and listen, the grace of God is sufficient for every demand of life. You know, I, I use the illustration of the guy, he's like, I got to pay off my debts and so on and so on. And he's like, but you know what? God's grace is sufficient for that. And God is not going to lead you away from his will. But you say, Lord, I know I need to do this. And Lord, I also want to obey you. Lord, I can trust you that your grace is going to provide and enable me to do what I know you want me to do. It's sufficient for every demand of life. And you know what? Life can be demanding. Life can be horrible sometimes. And we say we know this truth that God's grace is sufficient. But listen, I'm saying to you, we really need to believe it in order to experience it. We've got to really believe it. What is grace? I've said it to you a hundred times. You probably can give the definition to me right now. Unmerited favor. There's another definition. What is it? Divine enabling. Think about that. Divine enabling. What does that mean? It means beyond my ability. Doesn't it? It's divine enabling. That, 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 that it's God's power that gives me ability to do or to endure or to, or to, to handle or to go through. 
beyond my ability. God's grace, divine enabling, is sufficient. What does God's grace do for us? Well, the Bible tells us several things. God's grace, first of all, enables us to endure when life is really hard. Paul understood that. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's Paul's conclusion. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What was his conclusion? That God's grace is sufficient. And you know what? I would rather glory. I'll glory in my infirmities so that I can experience the grace of God and the power of God in my life. It enables us to endure when life is really hard. God's grace strengthens us. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So when you're failing and when you feel like giving up, God's enabling is what keeps us going. Amen? 1 Peter 5.10 tells us that he's the God of all grace. We look over at Hebrews chapter 4 and we find that we come to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Find some divine enabling to help us in time of need. Do you need some help tonight? I do. Well, we know where to find it. Come to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. But we really need to believe that and prove it and test it. You know what? It doesn't mean that our troubles disappear, but it does mean that there's ability that is divine to help us and carry us through. I've needed some of that this week. We have the word of grace and we have the spirit of grace. Acts 20 and verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Over and over again, we find what the word Grace means in the Bible in practical application. And all of that we can receive of his fullness. Go to John chapter 1. And note this passage, John chapter 1. John 1 and verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, of his fullness 
have all we received, and grace for grace. That word fullness there is a term that's important because it brings out the absolute deity and ability and power of Jesus Christ. The word fullness means repletion or completion. In other words, that he's full of grace. He's replete with grace. And it's out of his inexhaustible fullness that we receive anything. You know, of all the things that we do on our own in this life, there's not one person who can say that they are self-made. There's not one person who's the source of his own ability or the source of his own strength. Of him we have received, the Bible says. What have we received? We've received life. We've received health. We've received peace in our life. We've received uh, 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 the ability to function and to think and to move. We've received it all from him. The Bible says in him we have our being. That means that you exist because of him. It means that you exist for a reason because of him. And in him, we find the fullness of all that we need in this life. There's laid up in Christ like this giant storehouse, this huge warehouse, all that the believer needs, both for time and all of eternity. It's all in Jesus Christ. He's got everything that we need. And he says, grace for grace. Grace for grace. That word for, it can mean two things. It can either mean upon that means grace upon grace. In other words, God's favor, God's enablement heaped up one upon another. Grace for grace, just piling up God's amazing grace. Or it can mean new grace to supply old grace. In other words, that God's grace is sufficient to meet every recurring need. You needed grace back here, this thing came again. You need some more grace today. And every recurring need, God's grace is there. His enabling is there. It's sufficient. Both of those things are true. Grace upon grace piling up. Grace to meet every recurring need. God's favor is heaped upon us, certainly. We are so, so blessed beyond measure. But you know what? We can also trust Him for His enabling moment by moment in this life. That's a powerful truth, friend, that God can give you a measure of grace that you have not understood before. This problem, it's huge. I've never faced this before. But guess what? God shows me another measure of his grace that I did not know, and he enables me to carry through. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. God is good, and his grace is good. Beyond your ability, beyond my ability. I don't think I can make it. This is too hard. It's way too much. You know what it is? It's too much for me. I'm not going to make it without his grace. We don't live in the power of the flesh. We don't live under law. That's self-effort. I'm not strong enough. My self-determination and my will is not strong enough. I used to think so. 
until I became the pastor of this church. <laughs> can't make it without his grace. But we got to really believe that, that it's real and that it's sufficient and it's there and it needs to be tested and it needs to be. So there's a reason why Hebrews 4.16 says to come before the throne and you can find grace to help in time of need. What I'm simply saying is this. When we walk through the trials of this life, we can trust him and his enabling moment by moment because he is full of grace. And of his fullness, of that fullness, we have received. It's just endless, non-diminishing supply of grace upon grace upon grace just for when you need it. But do we take advantage of it? Do we believe it? See, it's not enough just to know about it. We need to experience it in our life. And how rich we really are in Jesus Christ. The devil's trying to get us on a spiritual detour. He's trying to get us off track and onto a path that is not the will of God. He was doing that with the Galatians at least temporarily. And I say temporarily because I want you to notice verse 10. I need to wrap it up so that I didn't lie. So I told you I was going to be brief. He was doing that temporarily. And again, I say temporarily because verse 10, Paul says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. In verse 10, in the first part, Paul says that he was confident in them. Did you notice that? Verse 10, I have confidence in you. But notice what he just said after that. Through the Lord, right? Paul said he has confidence in them through Jesus Christ. You know, we can trust that God is going to work in people's lives even when it doesn't seem like anything will ever change. Why can we trust that God is going to do that? Because they're in Jesus Christ. They're the Lord. They're in the Lord. Paul said, I'm confident in you, but through Jesus Christ, that you belong to the Lord, and I'm confident that the Lord is going to work in you. His confidence that the Galatians would heed his admonitions and repent was not based upon them, but through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work in their life. What else is he confident of? Well, the second part of verse 10. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Paul basically says, I'm confident that the Lord is going to handle the problem people. <laughs> in other words, God's got this. Then I want you to look at verse 12. For the sake of time, let's just jump down to verse 12. I would that they were cut, even cut off, which trouble you. Paul isn't messing around here at all when he's denouncing these false teachers. He already said in chapter 1 that those who preach another gospel should be accursed. 
It means to be banned. It means to be cast out, to experience the judgment of God. You preach a false gospel, you ought to be banned and cast out to experience the judgments of God. But here, he says he wishes that those that, were, that are troubling you were cut off. The word means amputate. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I wish those who want to circumcise you, I wish they, were, they would operate on themselves. In other words, that they would be castrated so that they wouldn't produce any more children of slavery. In a spiritual sense, he's talking about this. So they can't keep producing children of slavery because it leads to death. Paul told them, you've been called into liberty in the grace of God. And the believer who lives in the sphere of God's grace is free and rich and joyful and running in a lane that leads to reward and fulfillment because it's in the will of God. But the believer who abandons the grace of God and keeps trying with self-effort, they're a slave, they're a pauper, and eventually they're going to be on a detour from their Christian life. Let's live in the sphere of God's grace, amen? Now Paul's going to continue on into what living by self-effort will allow, and it allows the opportunity for the flesh to take control and the flesh to work. And so we're going to talk about that next time. But I'm thankful for the grace of God. Amen. Where would we be without it? Let's live in the sphere of the grace of God. We need to believe it and to test it and to prove it. We need to experience it in our life because it's not enough just to know about it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that it's challenging and encouraging to us. Lord, it has been so encouraging to me. We can so easily lose sight of it doesn't take very much to cause us to stumble or break stride. Something in life cuts in and we lose focus and we lose progress and can start us on a different course, a different path. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to take full advantage of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And live in the sphere of your enabling, your grace, and not in self-effort. And Lord, I'm thankful for that work that you have done in my own life, my own heart. And I pray, Lord, to be encouraging and challenging to others as well. We love you tonight. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prayerfully, that's a blessing to you.